good oh, setup, man. Thanks, mate. I won't take too much of your time. That's all right, buddy. But, um, well, should we just get cracking? Absolutely. Let's go for it. Go my, for it. My guest on the podcast today is Andrew Clark, CEO of the Master of Plumbers Association of SA. Andrew, thanks so much for making the time to speak to me, mate. I know you're busy, so... Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. Can you let... I'd like to just... You touch on a little bit about um, your career to date and how you ended up as in the role of CEO of the Master Plumbers Association of SA. How much time you got, Matt? As much time as you got, <laughs> mate. I'm here. I, I can be here all day. So I left... Um, uh, just to give you a little bit of history, my family were involved in um, a plumbing merchant uh, company called ET Bridgelands. And um, uh, my grandfather actually bought into the business. He was an accountant, and um, that particular business was in a bit of financial trouble, so there was a, a number of parties within that accounting company that bought the business. Uh, my father um, was employed as one of the general managers, and my uncle was there as well. So the Clark family were quite integral in the running of that business uh, from my father's a, uh, a stage. And then um, both my father and my uncle had obviously sons, and um, there was an opportunity for us to come in. Part of the part of the program was that uh, we'd both start off in another career prior, and and not just walk straight in. Which I must must admit, it's always a good uh, avenue to enter into a business mm. that way with something behind you. So I left school, got a plumbing apprenticeship with. Uh, company called Fridgerite Air Conditioning, so mechanical contracting type mm-hmm. of business. Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, I still did my Cert 3 and, and then Cert 4. So I worked for Fridgerite for about eight years and um, took off for a year overseas. Interest rates were back uh, 18%. That was about 89. It's frightening to think back yeah. then that they were that high. Yeah, um, I was winding at about four. Yeah, we, that's exactly right. <laughs> God forbid five. And um, so I took off for a year and then I got a phone call towards the end of that year. You know, we're ready to bring you guys in, as in myself and my first cousin. Yeah. And um, started at Bridgie's. And um, so I worked there for about eight years. And in between, in those eight years, we were approached by Reese Plumbing, um, who were starting their national... Uh, takeover bid to 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 bring their presence around Australia. Mm-hmm. So um, Bridgie's had the clientele base, um, which was pretty important for Reese, obviously. And then uh, there was another organisation called Plumbing World who had a branch network, and they were in a bit of financial trouble. Um, so Reese came in and, and and did their swift little offerings to both organisations and. Um, our family, as well as the other part owner families, decided that that was actually a good move. So, mm-hmm. so Reese took over. I stayed at Reese for a couple of years, uh, managed uh, the city store, as well as the I was assistant regional manager for South Australia for a, uh, about a twelve month period, and then I decided, where am I going? I didn't get the the second regional position. So my father-in-law at the time owned about four crash shops, and he said, well, "Why don't you come join me? You know, you might be able to buy the business later." I've gone, "Well, why the hell, why the hell not? Let's let's have a crack at that." Mm. So, so I left Reese and uh, joined his his business. Uh, worked for him for which is in the motor trade, obviously. So I worked for him for five years, and. Uh, I was on a number of committees for the Motor Trade Association and um, there was an offer. Uh, the Motor Trade Association were looking for someone and 
I could I could tell from my father-in-law things weren't going to plan and I wasn't actually comfortable with his proposal to take over one of his branches so I thought no I rejected that offer and joined the Motor Trade Association. So I okay. worked for the Motor Trade Association for four years, yep. um, which was actually a fantastic opportunity to learn how association bodies work mm-hmm. um, and really get an understanding of the not-for-profit operation, uh, group training operations, even registered training organisations as well as membership associations. So I stay. I was at the Motor Trade Associations for four years. Uh, this particular job came up, and uh, luckily I saw it in the paper. So kudos to the board for putting it in the paper because mm. I probably wouldn't have seen it any other way. And um, so I applied. And ironically, I went, <laughs> I went through the board of uh, back then. It was called the the Plumbing Industry Association. So it was actually a, a different title back then. Um, and half the board were people that I used to look after when I was managing Reese in the city. So I thought, well, I knew this person, this person, this person. So I applied. Next minute I got an interview and I was successful. So mm. that was back in two, October 2007. Um, I know people are thinking, <laughs> how can you put up with this for this long? But it's actually been a fantastic journey. So yeah. I've been here ever since 2007. Obviously, we changed the name back in 2014. Uh, and there was a reason behind that. It was very uh, challenging when you deal with government agencies and you say you're from the Plumbing Industry Association and they'd say, right, so you're different to the Master Plumbers Association. I'd say, and I'd have, I'd have to then confront them and say, well, no, we're exactly the same. We changed mm. our name. So we went through a whole branding, marketing exercise and uh, the, the, the data we received was that the, the public knew more about the Master Plumbers Association than they did about the Plumbing Industry Association. So we changed the name back. Yeah. And ever since then, we now line up with everyone else around Australia as well. So mm-hmm. that's a positive. Um, the little exercise they did back in 2004 to change it didn't didn't really work. So uh, here we are now as the Master Plumbers Association. Mm. I remember, yeah, it was the PIA. Everyone used to know it was the PIA, Correct. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a bit about you've been around. The Master Plumbers have been around for over 100 years, I mm. understand. Yeah. Can you let us know a little bit about the history of the Mars Plumbers and your role within the industry? Yeah, formed back in 1908. Um, and look, you know, that when I first started in the role, I had a massive wall full of folders and I'd actually go through them with interest because my father was actually on a couple of the committees um, of previous time. And um, it was a very... It was an association, like probably the other associations, very strongly supported by the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I can envisage now you'd send your membership invoices out and they'd be paid within a week, right? So it was very much the strength of the the membership that drove the association um, and supported it wholeheartedly. There mm-hmm. was just this... And the camaraderie amongst the the members and the industry was very strong back then right and i think um to where we are now it's changed and that's generational shifts as well um but uh yes it was uh they had a lot of success early on um and obviously the group training scheme was a very very successful component of that um when i'd started we just we we had 
challenges in in cash flow. Um, obviously, TAPS, which was formed um, probably around 26 years ago now, um, moved away from the master plumbers um, before my time, mm-hmm. and uh, that caused a bit of financial pressure. Um, and TAPS is trainee and apprenticeship placement. Uh, correct. Yep. And they hold, they do they've got quite a successful model with, with, with numbers and so forth. So when I started in 07, they just formed another group training scheme in 2006, which is really which really pulls together uh, opportunities for the industry as well as it, it complements it financially as well. Most most associations, and I learned this through the Motor Trade Association as well. Most associations, um, are, if they're standalone membership associations, are very hard to sus- be sustainable financially mm. without a, a component like a group training scheme. Right, even yep. a registered training organisation uh, is is challenging at times because you're relying on funding, um, unless you have a fee for service arrangement. But it's very, it's a very challenging environment as it's not consistent. Right, mm-hmm. and membership membership organisations are equally challenging if they're standalone. Uh, having a group training scheme where you've got that additional income capacity and that and that's pretty reliable as long as the funding stays sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a it, it helps your whole organisation be sustainable. So so when I first started, there was there was definitely cash flow problems. Um, we had a we. The, the previous board had, had made some um, decisions on a, a few things, and and you know some worked and some didn't work. But but look, you know I've always been one for um, looking at opportunities, and and my gut's been pretty good, almost 100 percent so far. Touch yep. touch wood. <laughs> um, so so we've been you know we've now grown to a level where. I haven't seen since I've been here. Mm-hmm. Um, we've progressively grown in areas, um, which which is also a reflection on some of the board uh, members we've had as well, um, some of the staff we've had, some of the support we've had from various other organisations. Um, we we tackle things with the mindset that we want this industry to grow and and support our members and strengthen the industry um, to ensure that it's it's viable and our reputation stays our reputation stays strong. Yep. Um, you know, we will challenge our our colleagues in the even in the building construction industry. Um, you know, we 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 support each other as much as we can, but there's also areas where we'll go head to head, and 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 that's and that's for the protection of our industry as in the plumbing industry yeah you know, we need to protect our our members we need to protect our industry sector um it's it's a it's a battle at times yeah um there's fights i've i've started when i first started and i'm still fighting those battles right i won't give up i'll mm-hmm. keep i keep going um it's 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 not the sort of role that you can take on unless you've got that level of resilience and focus towards the end goal. Mm-hmm. So it uh, look it's challenging at times. I love this industry. Um, I think um, as long as you've got the mindset and the adventurous mind to tackle new things and move with the times, 
otherwise associations will be dead. Yeah. You yep. know, you've got you've got um, you've got the uh, the elect the, the technology now to um, learn as your own as your own business or even your own. Uh, um, if you're if you're the owner of a business, there's a lot of stuff you can get online without even having an association mm. to, to contact. Yep. There is mediums where you can get information all the time, but that information is is very generic. It doesn't actually forecast the future. Yeah. Right. Whereas yep. our association, I'm trying to, and I've always done this. Always believe we've got to look at not just two years ahead, five and ten years ahead. Mm. Right. And that's mm-hmm. and that's because you've got to be ahead of the game. Yeah, you have yep. to be ahead of the game. Yeah, um, associations become can can become stale, and they just do their routine stuff. I I don't I don't operate like that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So you've mentioned challenges a few times, and you've been here since two thousand and seven, and you've already mentioned a few with with funding and things like that. But I want to ask what what have been the biggest challenges you've faced, you and your team have faced over the period since two thousand and seven to now? Oh, look, you know we want to we want to play in a field where we have um, as much impact as we can. Um, we we know that nothing comes walking in the door. You have to go out and get it. So, so we've created. You know, I remember we wanted to do a vet and schools program, and and you know that took two years to develop. And it wasn't just developing the content; it was developing the relationships with all the stakeholders. Yeah. So we had to make sure the education department knew what we were doing. We had to make sure the SACE board would approve our process, so that students who 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 entered into our program in year eleven, mm-hmm. doing a certificate one in general construction with a, with a plumbing focus, would then be able to move into the the next component, which is a year twelve, to do a partial cert three, to end up with their SACE scores at the end. So that program took two years to build. Now I don't know how many people it would take two years mm. to to plough through all the all the red tape to get to that stage. We did That's commitment. Yeah, we did, and um, that program ran for ten years, and it was a successful program. So when you hear um, people from the education department say that your vet program was one of the most successful, mm. and in, in particular some schools was very successful for employment outcomes. Is that's all I need to hear? Yeah. That that says to me that two years of yep. slogging through the red tape and all the process and all the steps we had to get to, one hundred percent validates the fact that that was worth it. Yep. So, so that was that's re- a really good story. And and if you look at the numbers, you know we were probably putting a hundred school students through that program every year, and out of that hundred, I don't know the exact numbers, but you know a high percentage got some sort of job hopefully in the building construction industry mm-hmm. i don't really care if they became a plumber if they decide to go electrical or even carpentry yep. that's not the point the fact is we've given someone a career mm-hmm. in this particular sector so that's it's satisfying you know mm. so we're just about to engage a new program which um as i mentioned to you earlier we we're still um waiting on a little bit of um feedback from the government on on what we proposed so That'll be that'll be stage two of where we go f- go to. But um, um, our industry starts from school leavers entering our industry who set up a career, and the next minute they're running their own business. Mm-hmm. And and if we can give someone an opportunity like that, we've done our job. Yep. So 
So that's that's one of the most satisfying things. But it has it, it was challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really challenging. And that's and that's what I said earlier. You got to in this role, there are times when you're fighting battles that um, that do take a lot out of you. But you hope there's a there's a result at the end that um, ticks yeah. all the boxes for our industry. So. You've mentioned unions, uh, sorry, you've mentioned governments and funding quite mm. a lot of times. So how does the government play a role in the Master Plumbers Association? And I'd like if you could just touch on the importance of the f- funding from the government because it seems like that's really important. Yeah, look, um, we, we ironically, if you look over the last three years, we've had all sorts of funding, whether it's state or federal. And and we, we um, are very grateful for any government support um, to provide assistance with either uh, students getting into the industry and starting a career or even hosts um, being able to employ Mm. apprentices going forward because it grows the numbers within our sector. Government funding is crucial. I often, I know, and, and, and you know I sit on a few boards and so forth, the funding models are... Uh, are changing feast every year and we yep. don't really know where we sit they're, they're, you know sometimes we have highs sometimes we have lows mm. I, th- I think if um, if there was more consistency over the message of, of what every government's trying to do and and have a consistent line of of li- of, of setting funding programs, over a longer period of time, it gives confidence to, for people to be able to grow and invest their own resources in it as well. Yeah. Um, and that then builds levels of sustainability and confidence in the sector. So I, I, I advocate for that quite a lot in every opportunity I can. The funding models, if they are consistent, they do assist in the whole process. Mm. It's a bit like changing... You know, if, if you have a high turnover of staff, you always seem to go backwards before you go forwards, yeah. right? So if you can keep some consistency there and grow your team to levels where everyone's return on investment is is better and improving, you're going to get a better result. There's mm-hmm. no different of funding. If we can get a consistent level of funding that is um, not going backwards, you'll continually grow. Yep. So it is important, yeah. Now, this is a long question, so I'm going to read this off the paper. Excuse me. But the government recently announced that there's going to be... They've released land to build about 25,000 new homes in the north and south of Adelaide. Plus, on top of that, there's predictions that nationwide we're going to need roughly 486,000 workers to enter the construction industry in the next three years to cope with population growth, building and infrastructure demands. Now, I'd say a fair portion of that 486,000 is going to have to be plumbers. How do you think we're going to bridge that gap? How do you think we're going to get that many plumbers in three years? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, man, if you asked me to bring my crystal ball in, I would have. But, um, look, uh, you know, if we're looking at those totals, as you mentioned, um, plumbers are probably the lowest out of the key, out of the main three professions in, in, in the trade, as in the carpentry, electrical and plumbing. I think we sit third... Um, look, it's competitive. It's, com- it's a competitive market out there right now, and and where everyone's trying to trying to find as much talent as possible. Mm. Um, it's funny because 
ironically, I was on a meeting this morning, a skills commission meeting this morning, and, and one of the things I raised uh, was about numbers of completions, uh, sorry, commencements versus completions, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. now that's great, but you, if you increase your, com- your, your commencements by 20% and your completions by 20%, that's all good. But in the middle, right, you've got to make sure those people actually stay in the industry going forward, mm. right? So you, the journey has to be there. Um, one of the one of the key areas we're seeing at the moment is, you know, there are a lot of challenges in kids who leave school, the students who leave school today. So resilience levels are down. Um, the understanding of work requirements after the school life is is not as well uh, understood or accepted as it was, say, 20 or 30 years ago. Mm. So in other words, your working capacity has changed over the generations. So so for us to increase our numbers, we have to look at the challenges of what's happening in the, reality, or, or in the real world today and, and why, why are these students not work ready? Why are these students not as resilient as they were 20, 30 years ago? What issues are they coming across that weren't there 20, 30 years ago that's mm. actually causing um, the, 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 the surrounding non-completion rates? Yeah. So, so non-completion has, uh, is important in the factor because we need to make sure if we, you know, we want a higher completion rate, obviously. But, but it's not just about the numbers. It's about what, what's happening in the middle. Mm. Um, we have to identify... What 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 is the true life of a student? What's their home life like? What issues are they coming across? What challenges are they, are they conf- are being confronted with that causes them to? Uh, it's a bit like a disruptor. What's disrupting their process? So so um, and we when everyone's after talent, everyone yeah. wants talent. Everyone wants someone to start and then work for ten years and say, "Yep, this is fantastic." We have to be aware that those times are different now mm-hmm. right so we're going to have shorter amount of career people are going to be hopping all over the place jumping around is it money is it just lifestyle is it is it what, what is the journey not quite right um so until we start working out that and and solving some of those problems mm. we're, st- we're still going to have completion problems yeah right problems and so you're never going to get to that number unless you start identifying what those problems are I think migration's also taken a bit of a hit, obviously, for since yeah. COVID. So we can't rely on students leaving the school system to fill the void. We have to look at the, the, the percentage of migrants who come in as well, who have skills. And in some in some regards, whether we whether we like this or not, uh, overseas countries have a better work ethic than what we do here in Australia. And I'm, I'm and I can't quantify that, but I, mm-hmm. you can just tell yeah. by some of the people that come in you can understand you can see how they work differently so so all these all these issues you have to put them all in the put them all on the map and it's a bit like a puzzle you need to put all the pieces of the puzzle together yeah. okay so i think um i think it, it, it's a it's a it's a race to getting the best number one it's a race to getting the number t- the, be- the best talent number two it's identifying to make sure that talent can actually withstand the pressures and the challenges to endure their career to get through to the end to the other side mm-hmm. right 
The other issue is the migrants. We need the migration numbers to come through to also fatten up the the quality and the work ethics to also help the young as well educate. So there's there's mm. educational pieces all the way along. Uh, parents have an influence. Um, um, friends have an influence. Money has an influence. But I suppose one of the most important things the journey and the the acceptance that people are they willing to be committed to a long-term career or are they just going to keep chopping and changing mm. because that's what everyone does these days so there's cultural changes as well so there's quite a mix it's complex of, isn't it? it's co- it's actually not as it's not as simple as people think by mm. just saying oh let's increase it by you know throw throw 20,000 people in the building construction industry and see what happens at the end that's yeah. that's not that's you can't do that in with, my eyes, you can't do that. Yeah, with, with the because when you're talking like when we're talking three year time horizon to get this many people in the construction industry, obviously apprentices, like you said, with them isn't going to solve the, all these issues because we need people quickly. So, on the migrant side of things, do you think do we have the right systems and processes and education in place here now to be able to bring them up to our because that's going to happen quickly too. Bring them up to our standard. Well, I could. I, yeah. Look, um, the migration system, in my eyes, and and I've had a bit of a, um, a, a quite a you know fifteen year experience in this sector, uh, uh, and trying to understand how why it's so complex, and it is complex. I think we make it a lot harder than what what it is. Um, there needs to be better processes in place. There needs to be better. Um, recognition of prior learning. Yeah. There needs to be uh, better processes in upskilling to get to the levels required within mm. each state or jurisdiction, and and then in particular each trade, uh, whether it's licensed or not licensed. Um, and also in a reasonable time frame, I suppose seems to be important. Time frames. Time frames uh, is a, is a critical issue. Um, there are a lot, and I've experienced this in this particular role. Where I've had people roll up thinking that they could sell their house in the UK, they could come over, bring the family over and just start doing plumbing straight away and then suddenly they get told they've got to go to the licensing department and then they have to go to TAFE yeah. to do, a, to do a, an analysis on their skills and the next minute they find out they've got 12 months gap training to do and the wife's in tears, the husband's sold the house and the, the whole family's here and it's like, well, no one's in, I'm, not, I'm actually not employable. So I've, ex- I've encountered that a couple of times and mm. it's heartbreaking because the information they got told at the start was is this simple, where it's not. So, I think I think we can actually improve that area. It's been it's been clunky for a long time, and um, and I don't like seeing people sell up their their whole livelihood in another country and come over and then get given ho- false hope. Mm. So, so there's an area we need to work on. Yep. And 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 I it, it, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but. There needs to be a, a more accountable, tra- uh, a, 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 an accountable and transparent process that gives confidence that coming to Australia is actually a a great opportunity, and b there is opportunity for work and uh, a life that uh, hopefully brings more joy than when they're leaving. So, yeah, um, but it, it's clunky at the moment. And you spoke about apprenticeship commencements and um, I think just, it's just as important, if not more important, is the completion rates. Mm. And since 2012, we've had 
quite a significant downturn and then I think there was a bit of an upturn at the round about the COVID period when those government funding things came in for the um, you know half the rebate back for the first year um, do you think the like it might be a hard question to answer but do you think the government could do more things to make it more attractive to start commence and complete an apprenticeship and where I'm going with this question is I think that from the ground being on the ground I think a lot of the issues we have is that kids could they don't they, they struggle to think like 10 years ahead so they're thinking like I could go and wash dishes at the pub and make 30 bucks an hour or I can do an apprenticeship and I make $13.50 for the first year that mixed with the cost of living pressures I th- you know do you think is that maybe something that needs to be looked at do you think well every every um solution can possibly bring up another problem right so and i'm saying potentially mm-hmm. um wages are always a a um indicator of where people start so you're right you can you can work in a pub part-time and then you know up to 30 dollars an hour and start as an apprentice on half that um it really, I suppose, depends on what their ambitions are and um, my concerns are ambitions today are different than what they were 20 yeah. years ago, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So um, long-term, and this comes in the education, this, this comes to the educational piece earlier on, mm-hmm. you know, through the, the schooling process of, you know, you know, if you establish yourself in, in, in this particular way, you know, you start off as an apprentice first year, these are the wages knowing that, you know, at completion, um, whether that's four years or, or thereabouts, you know, you, you've then got a qualification um, and then the money will start increasing as you go compared to part-time work, um, picking up a highly hourly rate, but it really gives you nothing sustainable. Mm, so mm. Um, I think I think there's a whole range of areas there. The, the, the biggest problem is your dealing with generations who have, have probably got more information accessible to them on phones and so forth and so and then they and then and then there's also the the peer group pressure as well mm. and money's always an issue you know I've had we've had situations here where we've had an adult apprentice having to terminate because he can get more money doing other work and because the interest rates went up he had yeah. he had no choice right so he had to terminate um there was nothing we could do. Um, an employer is only willing to pay a certain amount of money for a certain amount of return on investment. Mm-hmm. So an apprentice, certainly in a first year, is always going to have a low return of return on investment. I always believe, um, and it'd be okay if the the, the training organisations could um, uh, improve their capacity to train sooner, earlier, more. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big wish list, but. If you can improve your return on investment from any employee at an earlier stage, the wages come with it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, back four years ago, uh, sorry, twenty years ago, your return on investment would be, you know, two two to three years. Right. Now it's going three to four. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. the training process is slowing down, and so it's 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 drawn. It's actually going more to the back end instead of the front end. I prefer it at the front. If you got your training regimes at the front, your return on investments up early. Yeah. Once your return on investments up early, 
an employee is willing to pay more. They'll go above award rate wages knowing that that particular employee is outperforming another employee or there's an incentive scheme to say, hey, if you can do this and this and this, mm-hmm. I'll pay you more. That does not break the industrial relations issues which can be caused through uh, um, the wage situation. Yeah. Right. So performance will always outweigh an award rate. Mm-hmm. And so the only way you're going to get that done is by fast track, not by fast tracking, but bringing the training component up front yep. and being seen by an employer that this is the way to go. I'll mm-hmm. get a first year, I'll start an apprentice and, and I'll put him on. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, within six to 12 months, he's being paid probably like a third year as opposed to a second year mm-hmm. because the business is thriving. The business is actually winning. So yeah. why wouldn't you? Yeah. That's my thoughts. No. That's that's good. Com- I'll change it up a bit. Common, just wanted to, to know if you could touch on common issues you're seeing out there for the members that are raising concerns for them. A couple of issues. Uh, well, as I mentioned before, resilience within apprentices is, is a challenge. Big, I think. Um, that's probably the biggest issue. And and look, you know, let's, let's be honest. Um, you, you know, let... let the times have changed and and uh, the generational shift and, and the, the way parents have operated in the last 10 or 20 years has been different to the way parents operated 30 to 40 years ago. So, mm-hmm. And that's due to technology, it's due to, you know, other pressures and strains and stresses and, and for whatever reason. Um, so, so the resilience within work is, is a problem. Mental health issues are a real problem. Um, and I think half of that's driven by social media. Um, the, um, the, the pressures around um, work requirements also, I suppose. And in our particular industry, um, when we haven't had the migration flow come through, the, the, the only access to, to labour is through the school system. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the young ones coming through are actually being put in situations where they're, <laughs> they're working at you know 150 percent whereas their capacity is more like about 70 percent yeah right because they're still learning they're not you know so that that puts pressure on on the on the workers and and the the apprentices mm-hmm. um i think also uh the, the 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 general community don't understand how businesses operate so they think a plumber's still worth 50 dollars an hour yeah right oh, so you know remembering adelaide's got an aging population and you know so if you look at an ageing population, who are the clients, they still think, as I said, $50 is the hourly rate, whereas, to be honest, we all know that's well above that, mm. um, if not double, well, plus. Well, yeah. Plus. So so that doesn't help as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're actually battling against, you know, a client that's completely underestimated how much things cost, mm-hmm. as well as product costs have gone up. Accessibility to products has actually changed slightly. And... And so cost pressure is one of the biggest things our members come across. Um, there was a, a bit of a stage, and I haven't heard it much now in, in relation to being paid. So um, I still get a few phone calls coming through about you know clients not paying yeah. the bills, and yeah. that's due to the fact they think the price is too high. Um, and 99% of the time, they're not too high. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just the fact that the, the clients, uh, you know, basing their costing analysis 30, 40 yeah, years ago. Definitely. So, you know, that's, that's something that um, is a hard thing to convince consumers that mm-hmm. no, you mm-hmm. know. I think the, one of the biggest 
one of the biggest um, margins <laughs> that I've put out there a couple of years or within the last two or three years would be listen you've probably you've probably paid fifty dollars too much I said it's a carton of beer yeah and that could be on a on a on a job that was two and a half thousand dollars yeah right? it's nothing mm-hmm. right they think it's worth half mm-hmm. that's the comparison yeah do you know what yeah, I mean it's like, just so far off so that's frustrating but as I said and I've actually ironically just put that in last in our last magazine that you know that, um I constantly get phone calls about that issue, mm-hmm. and and nine, over ninety percent of our members are doing the right thing. Yep. So so that's a good thing, but it is getting tough. Compliance is being tough for for our, our members. Um, there are new rules coming in in relation to industrial manslaughter, um, which we do advocate that um, you know all members who have staff, or even if they don't have staff, if they're doing the work for people, they need they need to have a compliant WHS system. Yeah. Um, and that's for their own protection. Yep. It's no different to paying for insurance, right? That's an insurance policy. Um, pe- members understanding that um, it's not just them who have to comply, it's it's the local baker, right? Mm. It's, it's any business operation needs to comply. Yep. So we're not trying, we don't make the rules, but we're, we're here to assist all our members to, to be successful and comply and not end up... Um, in in places where they yeah. don't deserve to be so yeah and but just an issue i wanted to raise because i've i've heard it a few times out there um and it, it is a tricky one definitely but you were talking about return on investment with with apprentices i think there's definitely a issue happening out there where you know that some of these companies especially the bigger ones are putting through an apprentice like two or three years of their apprenticeship and then the apprentice says oh, i just want to go and work with my mate over at x company and then they leave and they're like well hang on have you heard about this yeah. uh, <laughs> i'm sure you can i wonder if you could speak oh, i to actually that. raised oh, that again this morning to, to about that, uh, no 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 because it's a valid question um this this does happen and and to be honest there's a reason why that's happening because getting good uh workers at this stage of where we are at the moment is very hard so mm-hmm. so that's why the people once they hear that someone's good they'll they'll just put out a little bit more of a, 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 yeah. a, a bait for them to come yeah. over. Dangle the carrot. Dangle the carrot. Um, that does happen and it's happened with us as a group training scheme as well. And mm-hmm. and it's even with family members who, you know, the, the idea was to start with another company before you come over back into mine, which is always, I always believe that, that's what I did. Um, start with another company to see how they operate, do your learnings from that particular business and then come come back. But what's mm-hmm. happening now is they're just pulling them out within two or three years yeah. and, and bringing them into their own business. That causes us a bit of grief because obviously we've got, we got two interests here. One yeah, is our host employer, two is our employee, the apprentice, and then the third party comes along and often they take them on direct, most times, mm-hmm. take them on direct. And um, to be honest, we can't, we lose... We lose the the support, the mentoring, and the the wrap around type mm. uh, component when they leave our I might say our nest, but they they yeah. leave they leave us to go into a direct indention um, environment, and um, and and stats prove that anyone who comes through a group training scheme has a higher completion rate than it does direct indention. Okay. So so obviously it's it's not it's not about us being selfish; it's more about us making sure that that particular 
apprentice completes mm-hmm. and they have a good journey. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an important factor. Um, we can't stop that. Are um, you powerless to? There is a there is a um, via the skills commission. There is a um, a transfer fee. So if someone does poach someone, there is a poaching fee, okay. and that's worked out uh, depending on what year they are. Yep. And so there is some sort of um, compensation for the company that loses that particular apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've actually uh, actually used that a couple of times Have as you? well when okay. they've been poached. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's good. that's a, it's a fair and reasonable compensation amount because you've you know some some of these apprentices we put in a lot of hard work mm. and um, especially early and there's a and uh, for someone just to pick them up along the way after half the after all the hard work's been done is a bit of a yeah, slap in the face yeah, so definitely so um okay we're never we're never going to stop that unfortunately mm. we'd we'd love every every apprentice that starts with someone to finish and be competent in 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 their trade and mm. get the best journey they can in that four-year period it is really tricky isn't it because if they want to leave and you say no then they're going to be all disgruntled and it's like not going to work out for anybody so you're really powerless it's, in yeah, that situation yeah. aren't you yeah we are you a bit powerless yeah. um and look you know on the flip side we've had a few that leave left us and then they've come back to us believe mm. it or not mm. I mean, that's that's a bizarre case but we did have that a, a couple of times, so yep. it's not always greener on the other side. No. Uh, a problem within the industry definitely seems to be uh, paying for the standards. Can you, sp- <laughs> I, 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 can you speak to that? Cause, yeah, and do you, know if they, do you know if in outside of the building and construction industry, do people pay for the standards, or is it only a building construction no, industry it's thing? No, it's the whole. It's, it's everywhere, it's is it? It's access to all the standards. Yeah, look. Seems you you must have read up on my uh, <laughs> previous magazine. I, I think did some research. I think it was actually in my current magazine. Um, look, I, first of all, Master Plumbers uh, South Australia was the first plumbing association around Australia to have give access to the Australian standards for our members. Right, so we went out there. Must have been two thousand and nine slash ten around that period. Negotiated through SR Global to get uh, access for our members through our member login to the 3500-5601 standards. And so we did that up until about 2017 when SA Global decided to change the change the rules around how much it was going to cost, mm-hmm. um, which I tried to negotiate, and it just started creeping up a little bit. And then we tried um, the other associations around Australia decided to actually finally listen to what I'm saying, saying that this is the best thing, you know, you should have done it years ago, but then they would said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll try and do the same. So then what happened, um, we tried to negotiate a national deal through SR Global, and and uh, we, we were faced with a couple of um, uh, situations where the pricing was just almost pl- pluck a number out of the sky and that'll do for mm. access for all the Master Plum Association. Then overnight it, it quadrupled, and... Um, and then they wanted to lock in three-year deals. So that was 2017. I've been fighting this battle for, what's that, five years, six years almost, right? Um, the Australian standards is um, a, a, a beast in itself. Um, to cut the story short, we are now, we, we, we believe, well, we know for a fact that Australian standards are building a phone app okay. of which plumbers and any other trade who need these standards 
will be able to access via their mobile phone towards the more likely towards the end of the year mm. for a very competitive price, but you've got it on the phone, um, and it'll be a yearly subscription. Right? Okay. Um, are you happy? Are you, do you think it's a good result? We'll put it this way: we we back in twenty one November twenty one we we purchased one hundred and fifty licenses. Uh, Master Plum's had to fork out forty thousand dollars up front uh, for one hundred and fifty licenses which we sold off in that 12-month period. But then effectively, they at November 22, they turned everything off, right? And they said, well, now you have to resubscribe again. And it didn't matter if you subscribed it before, you have to resubscribe again. So what it meant was our members would then have to re, re, re-sign up another deal. Yeah. And, of course, the price went from forty to 50000 for two hundred, and us and, and our board decided no. Mind you... Uh, the staff member who was sort of managing that area was going through hell on earth. It was it was one of the most stressful tasks I've ever seen. Really? Uh, it was not made easy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that person has now left. That was probably 50% of the catalyst why she left. But these organisations have no idea, and I, and, and I hope they listen to this podcast, they have no idea of the work involved in trying to keep our members across the Australian standards mm-hmm. and the commitment we do as an association. They just think, we'll set up the program, you do all the hard work, you sell them, and we make the money and the job's done, right? It is actually really poor from SR Global and Australian standards that they can ride on, ride the wave of the hard work that the the, the committee members who are volunteers by the way who put these who, who help build these standards who then on sell at whatever price they feel necessary mm. and they've and we've and I've confronted both parties and they both pointed at each other saying they set the price not them both parties right it's actually an embarrassment oh, just it's an embarrassment they both pointed at each other so not even one organization's got the guts to stand up and say we set the price mm. they're the distributor they don't do it. They run away. They hide. They're really? gutless. Right? Yep. They're totally gutless. So that really disappoints me. So, you know, when that offer came in November last year, we I took it to the board. They said, no. Nah. And I said, to be honest, I'm not churning through my staff through the stresses and the pressure and and the, and I won't say it's abuse, but the, 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 the challenges they have to deal with both members and then the organisation on both other, we're basically yeah. the piggy in the middle, the broker. For the hard work, so we've we've ditched it, right? And I've said this on a national level as well. It's too hard. It's honestly too hard, right? Mm-hmm. We've spoke to ministers, we've spoke to federal ministers, we've spoken to to local ministers about this whole issue. It is it is a an embarrassment to an industry that's regulated that has to follow standards. It's so hard, mm. like it just does not make sense. Why they can do whatever they want. Australian standards can do whatever they want. Right, they treat us like pawns in the game. To the point where I sat on a committee uh, meeting a couple of weeks ago and I actually said to the person, I want you to take this to your executive. I want you to challenge your executive of why and if you don't if you don't remunerate the people on these committees in the next five years you won't have anyone. Right? Mm. And that'd be that'd be fantastic if that actually happened, right? They need to actually look at how they operate, how they thank the volunteers for putting in their time 
to contribute to the building of these standards to then put them out for sale. Mm. Where's, where's the remuneration? Where's the acceptance that these cannot be built without the volunteers? They shouldn't be volunteers for a start. Mm. Um, it's, 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 it's almost third-line forcing, yeah. right? Where you have to meet standards, but the standards people can do whatever yeah, they want, sell, really sell them at any price. Mm. You know, I, I, I just can't dynamic. understand how, how someone can get away with that. So I can tell it, mate. You're passionate about it. Passionate. It fires you up a bit. It does fire, it does fire me up. I knew this. As soon as you mentioned those words, it was going to come out. So. Oh, all right. We'll change it up. When the, when the government announced the, the new land release we spoke about earlier, yeah. I saw, and they did it on LinkedIn, I saw you commented about the stormwater systems being designed and installed by licensed Yeah, that was plumbers. after I read your comment, can, actually. Can, yeah. Can, what's, what, can you explain a bit more about that and why okay. there's an issue there? So, so um, I also sit on another committee um, through SA Water. One of the biggest problems we have here in South Australia is when it rains during winter, the sewer systems increase, the metro sewer systems increase by 200%. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, ah. this, these, this fact sheet was driven by me asking a question to SA Water personnel. So metropolitan and the sewer systems increase by 200% when it rains. Now, you don't have to be Einstein to work out the fact that why does that happen? Stormwater systems are going into sewer systems. Yeah. In the Adelaide Hills, the, the sewer systems increase by 500% really? when it rains. Right, the increase in in ca- the the ca- capacity increase costs SA Water millions of dollars. Does it? Hundreds of millions of dollars to okay. to maintain the infrastructure for for part of the reason that this is in is increasing by this percentage mm. when it rains. Right, so it's a costly exercise to manage the sewer systems in winter. Yeah, yeah. If plumbers were Designing and installing stormwater systems, you wouldn't have that problem. You just wouldn't even think right? about doing that. The biggest, the biggest asset in our lives as an adult when you purchase a property is the property, right? Mm-hmm. Or when you move into the, the next phase of your life from leaving home is to buy a property. Why is your property not built to standard, mm. right? Or compliant? Now, there is no question houses are built uh, to meet compliance levels from the building code and so forth. I don't have a problem with that. But the stormwater issue is a real concern because stormwater, poor stormwater systems can just des- destroy a home in years, yeah. right? N- let alone the neighbour's house, mm. right? And when you've got house blocks now being on being built in areas where you could never think you'd build a house today, uh, 20, 30 years ago, they are now... Mm. Uh, you've got retaining walls that don't actually actually built properly. Stormwater's sort of backing up behind the retaining wall and suddenly you've got, you know, mm. 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 litres of water which hasn't been drained properly or going into the sewer, sorry, into the stormwater catchment yep. spot. Yep. It's probably either just settling on the ground or if not, someone's trying to run it through the sewer system. Mm. Um, it causes major issues. So... So my comment was, I have raised it with uh, various government agencies, that stormwater should be, the legislation should be changed so that only plumbers should be able to install uh, 90 mil and above. 
So the, are you saying the regulation, they don't, it's not that now? Currently, legislation states that uh, only a, li- a, a licensed plumber is to install 100 mil and above. Really? Yeah. I didn't well, know that. So, okay. so anyone can do 90 mm. mil, right? South Australia is the only state in Australia that produces 75 mil stormwater pipe, mm. and that's money for downpipes. 90 mil stormwater pipe in the ground should never be installed. No. Right, it's it's, it's too thin. It's it? too thin. It can't manage the the weight of the ground, let alone pavers and so forth on top. Mm-hmm. It'll it'll reduce in its full capacity probably within a year or two. Um, yeah, with the weight, it yeah. just crushes. Right, I believe, um, I believe you know that if the stormwater systems are designed and installed by licensed plumbers, and I'm talking contracting plumbers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. As part of their cert for that, do fifty hours of stormwater design. Um, we would actually improve the longevity of properties. We'd also reduce the number of claims of possible insurance claims mm. of poorly designed stormwater systems. Water's damaging, as we know. We've seen the River Murray. Um, yeah, causes a lot of grief. So, why would you not? Yes, it might be more expensive if you're putting a hundred mil in the ground. Twenty two thousand dollars. Yeah, over of, the course of a, a stormwater uh, yeah, pipe house. system with a, in a hundred mil over twenty years, mm. you work it out. Yeah, right? it's bugger all. It's nothing. So, so yeah, I'm an advocate for that, and I have raised that. And um, once again, that's on my list of things to pursue. Yeah. Um, so how do you, sorry? How do you go about? How does the industry go about so, making these changes, getting them to happen? So. Good question. So I had a, I called a meeting through CBS, the licensing body, and the OTR. I said, I am concerned about the the standards of plumbing at the moment, right? So we called a round table. That was during COVID. Ironically, I actually was had COVID that particular week. But anyway, <laughs> I, I zoomed in. Um, yeah. So I called up, and 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 they involved um, training organisations, um, other stake stakeholders. Um, the, the licensing board, the OTR, master plumbers. Um, I think that was about it, really. And mm-hmm. we discussed the issues, and I raised the issue, right, about stormwater, and I raised other issues as well, training and so forth. So I called all the parties together. And then um, the, uh, the CBS decided to consult other industry bodies, and a number of those industry bodies knocked it back and said, no, we don't support this this proposal. So I put in a proposal of what we need to do, saying that this will actually benefit the industry, raise the standards and improve not only, not only the SA water infrastructure but homeowners' confidence in the marketplace as well. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Um, we don't need we don't need our reputation to be tarnished at all. So so a few associations didn't like that and so they put in comments saying we don't support it. And that was it. Yeah, really. Mm. That- so okay. I can't believe how even if one party puts their hand up and says no, that suddenly everything gets shut down, mm. right? So so hence my comment, right? Yep. Yep. Now, <laughs> if you can bring someone else in to do the stormwater that's had more than 50 hours worth of training in stormwater design, fine. Let them install it and design it. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case. Yeah. yeah. So what's the point in plumbers as part of their contracting plumbing license they're set for being trained 50 hours in stormwater design yet you've got other people 
designing and installing stormwater mm. systems because it's 90 mil. Yeah, you're right. What's so, the point? So many times, like, when, you know, it's just like a standard exclusion on a house. Is like the floorboards. They get it without the floorboards, without the curtains and without the stormwater, and the homeowner takes care of it. What happens, look what happens today when it rains and when it pours. When mm. it pours, what, what happens? Flooding in houses. Flooding. What's the normal, streets. what's the average size block today? Right. 350-ish. Right, correct. Know. Right. So... Mm. Um, it's a concern. Yeah. I've also witnessed councils rubber stamping developments of four or five houses in a block, all built with a um, spoon drain, spoon drain not installed. Four houses, stormwater going to a pit, 450 by 450, yeah. and then 190 mil stormwater pipe running out of the street. Yeah, you see this, don't And you? the council rubber stamped it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I raised it with the OTR. I went to CBS and I said, this is a joke. The consumer of one of the properties rang me and I went out to an, actually to inspect the property. Mm. Now, that's something I don't normally do, <laughs> but I thought, I can't wait to see this. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing eventuated from that. Mm. So I, I've, got a, I've got a question over whether councils are doing their job. I've got a question of whether houses, the biggest asset in your life, is actually compliant to today's environment, mm-hmm. namely stormwater, uh, the... The, the process of getting removing stormwater. Block sizes are shrinking, which is another concern, which means your neighbours almost can smell your cooking if not hear the conversation over the fence. Yeah. Right? Everything's getting s- smaller, tighter, yet we're not improving. And as yeah. your comment, we're not improving how things are being done. Yeah. So it's price-driven, it's not quality-driven. Mm-hmm. Okay? So... I have a real, I have a real issue with that because I, I feel there's people who are spending a lot of money on a, on an item, uh, i.e. your house, mm. and you're going to have problems in One two of or three years. Fundamental things is getting overlooked, and and it's and and you know what? I don't think anyone would argue paying two thousand dollars extra to put a hundred mil on the pipe by a licensed plumber. Yeah. Okay, that's something so we should all another, definitely you've hit look another into. nerve there on that one. <laughs> You found all my hotspots. You've had all my. <laughs> I did you, research. You found all. You have done some research, Matt. Well done. Uh, I'll I'll finish it up soon, Andrew. But what what advice can you give to the general public public when they're choosing a plumber? And the second part of the question is, what are the benefits they get when they choose a, someone who's part of the Master Plumbers Association? Look, you know, one of the things that um, we advocate is that if if you use a member of the Master Plumbers, and obviously we've got on our website find a find a find a plumber, uh, the find a plumber tool is that you know if you do run across issues as a as a as a consumer you can ring us and we will um, listen and we will try to diffuse the situation whatever it may be um, that that is probably one of the one of the key points the also one of the key points is that most of our members uh, follow a code of ethics and and they do overall attempt to keep up with the changes in the standards the the um the com- they comply with the whs rules and regulations uh, whether it's they've dipped a toe in it or whether they've gone full steam ahead and invested in it the, the whole process which we fully encourage obviously but there is a there is a level of security and ironically i was i i, I let the board hear one of the ads which we had on 5AA uh, through Rowie and Timmy G that um, 
they actually, uh, Timmy G compared us to like the RAA, right? You want that sound, you, you need that confidence, yeah. the, 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 the backing of an organisation that that's here to protect you. Mm-hmm. Perfect analogy, right? Yeah. And, and that's what we want to portray out there. We have, we have over the years spent money on radio advertising for our members mm-hmm. to make sure you use a member of the Master Plumbers Association. Some of those um, promotion, some of those ad, ads we've used have actually produced massive reactions from those who aren't members. They've okay. actually rung in and said, I've lost business because of your ad. Really? Right? Yep, couldn't believe it, right? So we advocate a lot for the public to use members of the Master Plumbers, and we will continue to do that. We've done, we've sent out um, heaps and heaps of um, correspondence, or you know, we've done letterbox drops and so forth about who we are, what we're trying to, ch- and you know, you need to be protected. Mm-hmm. And and the only protection we can give you is the fact that if you use a Master Plumber member, you've got you've got the best of the best. And you've got all the processes in place should there be a problem. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, so look, we do we do go pretty hard on that, and um, and I hear all the stories from the the parties who deal with non-members. Yeah, there is some shocking and stories. And there's some shocking stories oh. out there. In fact, members ring me up and say, "You wouldn't believe what I've just seen." They just ring me and say, I've, "What I've seen, there's no way that person is a licensed plumber." Yeah. Right now, they don't. Sometimes they don't reveal the names, but um, most of them. Well, we who know. do know that yeah. it's non-members? So yeah, okay. It's um, so it should fill the co- the public with confidence that they're yeah more confident, more we, confident to use a we we're plumber. very much we very much advocate for um, professional work, high standards, and and we want our members to know that we support them and will back them. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the in majority, and we'll also advise any consumer to use our members, obviously. Yeah. Um, because there's 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 many reasons why. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The master plumbers offer a wide range of services and benefits to the members. Can you let us know about some of these? Because a lot of them, I don't think a lot of even the members know of. And I wanted to maybe touch on another nerve. Can you speak to the plumbing road shows as well that you guys sure, put on? Sure. So. So ironically, there's a whole range just right behind you on a whiteboard. Oh. Um, <laughs> you can just read them. And I didn't even prepare for this. Okay, <laughs> it's just so look. You know, we've got a we've got a quite a, a good fleet deal with uh, Toyota and a couple of other um, manufacturers as well. Mm-hmm. Savings in that regards. Uh, we've just stitched up a deal with NAB uh, for some uh, phone tapping, um, banking type uh, setups. We've got hotlines for legal both in commercial and as well as IR firms. So, you know, for half half an hour conversation, if you can talk fast, you get a lot more out of it. But, um, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, some of that advice is, is becoming valuable now. Um, we've, we've well, ironically, um, I've, I've, I think in the last two weeks, I've sold two contract packs, the terms and conditions for contracts. And that's just, that could be any work under 10,000 or mm. uh, over that's really above. Neat which is handy, gives you terms and conditions for payment and so forth. We've got an SA water deal at the moment where um, clearing block drains where if if uh, a client has a block drain and SA water come out and they find that it's on the property of the owner and they don't have a plumber, they'll give them a, a, a card which actually has a direct link behind our, behind our find a plumber tool mm-hmm. into an area of accredited 
plumbers who do drain cleaning. Okay. So they'll get they'll get referrals that way. We're just about to stitch one up for the AGA Australian Gas Network, where they're going to do a similar type deal through our our member network. So that'll be that'll be good. We've got um, partner arrangements with uh, a, a business that helps with uh, HR, I, uh, in, uh, not just well, mainly, mainly HR and WHS systems. Mm-hmm. So these are all valuable um, contributors to your business operation and and help you be compliant. So so some of those are um, you know. I've done a quick calculation, ironically, on the board. You you could save easily over, a, you know, if you if you look at your membership fees and compared to what you can actually get out of it, in a, even in a four-year period, it would cost you nothing. Mm. Yeah, awesome. It would cost you nothing. So, so, but if you if you don't want to get legal advice and you don't want to comply uh, with legislation, and you feel that you know cash is best um you you probably don't need to do you don't need to be connected with us at all but mm-hmm. then again you're not compliant you're not up to speed with how the real world works yeah and at some point in time you're going to get caught out and how much is that worth if you pay insurance what's the difference yeah we're like an insurance company mm-hmm. you want to insure your business well, why wouldn't you insure your business with master plumbers as well mm-hmm. yeah because we great. can protect you equally and you'll get more return on us than you will out of an insurance company. This is mm. the way I look at it. Yep. And finally, can you just maybe touch on some of the key important issues we need to tackle over the and solve over the next five years in the plumbing industry? Can you think of any? You missed out well, the roadshow question, but um, oh no, well, go on. No, the roadshow. So road just about the roadshows. Yeah, look, look, the roadshows are really good. Um, we obviously we engage the Office of Technical Regulator and they do about an hour's presentation on some of the standards and some of the issues that, are, that, that plumbers come across. Um, it, they are very factual, mm-hmm. right? And you leave with more information than what you arrive with, okay? So it's not just when we do our spill about what, we, what we're trying to do to assist you with your business, but the OTR really do help you understand some, some of the areas that, the, the highest problem here is they they come across, mm-hmm. and uh, whether it's insulation practices, whether it's changes in standards, whether it's an upgrade in your understanding of, you know, um, inspections and so forth, it's all factual and it's all relevant to every business owner in the plumbing industry. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you'll walk away knowing more than what you did when you walked in. Yep, and it's valuable, and it costs you nothing unless you want to. Uh, if you if you do actually log on and um, register, uh, the cost of a roadshow gives you the food and the drink. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to eat and drink, that's fine. Don't pay. Just to let us know you're coming. So, yeah. but they are. And and look, I've been doing these for you know 15 odd years, and every year there's something you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you if you live off your business then you should spend the time and the effort to, yeah. s- to support your lifestyle by coming. Okay. So, so everyone should get to the road shows, definitely. Everyone should get to the road shows. And yeah. it's a good networking opportunity as well. Okay. And there's great supporters, uh, sponsors from our from our sponsor network um, with new products and so forth and advice and information, and they're really good blokes. Mm-hmm. And, and um, 
and everyone there is passionate about the industry. Yep. So it's it's a great networking it's opportunity. Good environment to get around. It's a great environment. Mm-hmm. It's a great environment. And finally, uh, is there anything you think coming, moving forward in the future, we really just need to, to nail on the head issues to solve to get us to the next level we need to get to in this plumbing industry? Well, there's... Probably touched on a lot of them, but... Yeah, look, I, I probably have. Um, and, and look, we're not, ones to, we're not ones to sit still as an association. We do, if, if we see something that needs to move, we will make every, um, every opportunity to move in that space. Um, I suppose what the, the message I've got to say to anyone who's running a plumbing business now is to read what we put out there, mm-hmm. be aware that we don't set the rules, but we're here to help you comply with the rules. There are changes coming up, and it is a lot of it is around protection of the worker to make sure they're safe. It is also about making sure you pay them correctly. And let's face it, our mod, our award is um, a very challenging document to understand, yeah. right? You need to understand some components of it. You need to look after the the young uh, apprentices coming into the industry because they are the future, right? We really want um, the training, the on-job training to be the best training it can be your as a, as a supervisor or a business owner you have a lot of influence over the success of that apprentice mm-hmm. and the journey for an apprentice is the most important part because we want these apprentices to complete we want these apprentices to be the future of our industry and to drive the same high standards that are set so we expect we want our people our members to to set a high standard yeah and to bring in any new candidates into the industry to make sure they are equally high standard during their journey mm-hmm. and they enjoy their journey and hopefully they can be as successful as some of the some of the people we know who are as successful because yep. there's a it, it's a great industry it to be is. in it's yeah. a great industry, and it's not going away. So no. that's one thing that's we know. We're mm. not. We're not. Le- plumbing is never ever going to disappear. Yeah. And be replaced by technology or anything else. Yeah. So, so. Um, that's a good point for kids to to know. I think, isn't it? It's like a lot of these industries are probably going to get taken over by AI. Yeah. You know, I've seen AIs even doing giving out law advice and all sorts of crazy things now but you can't a robot can't do plumbing no and and you know our products are changing all the time and and in 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 nearly every product that comes in you still need the manual the hands the 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 interaction with a human person to 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 build Mm -hmm. to, to install definitely to to maintain and to change and so forth so you know our industry is changing evolving um uh, for the better in some cases, um, and we just got to. Everyone's got to understand. We got to move with it. Yep. We got to move with the times, and um, you know it. It's uh, it it has its challenges, but um, it will provide provide a livelihood for those people in the industry for sure. Thanks for joining me today, mate. Thanks for taking the time out. I know you you're busy with all the things you spoke about, and you're a very passionate plumbing industry advocate and I thank you for that and I thank all the team here at the Master Plumbers Association for all you do for the members so thanks thanks Thanks, Matt great fantastic opportunity to catch up thank you mate thank you
Thanks for tuning in to another Plumify podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, and all the usual podcast platforms. <laughs>